This is episode 75 of the Landscape Photography Show, and in this podcast episode, we're talking with Rachel Talibart, and Rachel is joining us all the way from the UK in this episode, and you're going to hear a lot of themes coming up in this podcast episode, specifically for approach in photography. Now, Rachel has a distinctly different style than me, than a lot of photographers that we've had on the podcast, because she photographs waves. That's pretty much it waves the ocean how did she get there how did she approach wave photography and also we talk a lot about the effects of the pandemic but i wanted to spin it in a way to not dwell on the pandemic itself yeah it's had an effect on all of us an impact on all of us but coming out of it how do we approach photography and creativity on the other end of the pandemic The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Rachel Talibart. And and Rachel, first, like I start every podcast, I just want the listeners to get to know you as a person why don't why don't you first and and thank you for coming on why don't you first fill us in on who you are and, and where you are and also how you got started uh your style of landscape photography oh well uh, hi david and everybody else um thanks very much for inviting me on your podcast and um all the way from england as you can probably tell from the weird accent Um, And I live in the south of England, but really very close to London, outskirts of London. Um, And I'm not sure I actually even deserve to be called a landscape photographer because you pretty well hardly ever see any land in my photographs. Um, (laughs) I photograph uh, from the coast almost exclusively. I photograph at the coast and most of my particularly well-known photographs anyway, are off the sea and very often with nothing but the sea and maybe a little bit of sky. So um, if people have come across my work before, it's the most likely portfolio they'll have seen is my Sirens series, which was um, a portfolio of photographs of enormous storm waves that were named after mythological beings. And um, yeah, actually seems to have gone down quite well in the USA, actually, which is nice. Um, so I I really struggle to fit into the landscape photography um, kind of fraternity in that respect, but no one seems to mind and they're all very welcoming. Um, and I suppose I would say the difference between what I'm doing, apart from the subject, and what I think of as pure landscape is that I think Pure landscape photography is about place. Um, It's more than just documenting place. You know, many of the landscape photographers I follow are wonderfully artistic in the way they do it. But still, it's fundamentally about place. And quite often, for example, the the images will be given the name of the place in the title. And my work is, is absolutely not about place. I try quite hard not to include landmarks even in the vast majority of my work and hardly any of the pictures are named after the locations Um, so I I don't really want to show people what they would have seen if they'd been standing next to me which I think is often considered one of the the goals of landscape photographers what I'd really rather show is something you might not have noticed if you'd been standing next to me so I'm just as likely to pop a long lens on and and pick out a tiny detail in the scene rather than go wide angle and, and fit everything in. Gosh, I said a lot then. I hope that was useful. Absolutely. What did you do before you were a, a photographer? Um, uh, quite a lot of things. Um, but my first career was as a solicitor, which is a sort of English version of an attorney. And um, I worked in the City of London doing what I suppose sounds like quite high-powered commercial court work, you know, big um, commercial litigation. And I did that for quite a long time. Um, And then I took a break 
um, and I've never gone back. <laughs> and I'm quite glad I don't do that job anymore. Uh, so then I went back to university and I did two more degrees, this time in English literature. And then, um, and I was raising a family at the same time. I have two children. And then I became a full-time professional photographer at the sort of end of 2015, beginning of 2016. So about five years ago now. Did you find respite in the times of taking breaks or, or going on vacations for being a solicitor and, and going to, sh to shoot? Because I know on your website, I read up that, that you were shooting film at the time. Yes, because I'm not very young <laughs> and there wasn't any digital then. Um, yes, so I it was a huge hobby for me. I think I first became hooked on photography as a, a teenager. And during those city years when I was working, what was a very demanding job and the hours were very long, I used to go and you know, I used my allocated holiday time to the max and traveled a lot and I would take a camera and I would say, looking back on those photos, that I was really just a happy snapper. I would try and just photograph whatever I saw. But I was I was already quite hooked on just the joy of that, the fact that I could maybe try to make a good photograph instead of just sort of throwing the camera to my eye and photographing anything. And I think I was learning the whole time. But it was really expensive because I didn't have, I was living in flat shares all over London, you know, quite like a lot of young people, you know, no, not living the same place for more than six months. So there was no way I was going to have a dark room. So um, I was spending an absolute fortune on getting film developed. Um, but still, I'm glad I did. Give us an idea on, on how much you would spend after coming back <laughs> from a trip. Give me like a range here. I can't remember now. I think I've blanked it out in horror. Um, <laughs> I know I know when um, when I came back from my honeymoon with my lovely husband, who's still married to me despite the huge amounts of money that I spend on photography, <laughs> um, we went to Zimbabwe, uh, which, of course, dates me right away because people don't tend to go on Zimbabwe much anymore. But this was before things went wrong there. Um, we went to Zimbabwe on safari, and you do take a lot of photos on safari. You know, it's wildlife photography. But still, I came back with 51 rolls of 36 film. So film with 36 exposures, 51 rolls of that to get developed. And that was quite a lot of money. I think it was a considerable extra expense on top of the honeymoon. That, I just did the math. That's 1,836 frames. Um <laughs> I went on I went on safari last year. It was actually last year right before the pandemic. Came back with like 6,000 images. So it's amazing for me to always compare and contrast because I started out in film too. And uh, do you think do you think you are more aware photographer when you were shooting film? No, I don't. Um but I think it's probably not a direct comparison. If I was could if I still shot film now, I could compare that with my digital work and and decide, but I don't. I'm fully digital. Um, and back when I was shooting film, I wasn't a very good photographer at all. <laughs> I really wasn't. <laughs> I, I no shameful, <laughs> but I enjoyed it, and that's what mattered. When you decided to go digital, I don't. I don't want to get into like gear or anything like that. But in terms of your appreciation, love, and obsession with it, how did it kind of kick off once you did switch over to digital? Yeah, I mean, frankly, that was the game changer. Was switching to digital, and that's when I became completely obsessed. Um, and my my lovely husband Peter, he um, bought me my first digital SLR for Christmas I think it was Christmas I want to say 2007 I think it was can't remember now it doesn't matter um and I was you know I was polite to have a present but secretly I was thinking oh no I don't want digital that's not pure film is better and I didn't really use that camera for several months until um we did a, a really big trip to California and Hawaii and then I took the digital camera and of course I was 
quickly absolutely hooked. And um, and then I went through the flicker years. How many people have gone through the flicker years mm. when I uh, shared all my absolutely ghastly, out of focus, badly exposed, badly composed <laughs> photographs on Flickr and um, got terribly excited when they got into explore, not understanding that that means nothing. And, you know, all right, we could sort of cynically laugh about that now. But at the time, that was hugely encouraging for me. And I just just got more and more immersed in it all. Was it because of the sharing that you were doing? Or was it because more of the community aspect around the Flickr groups? Because I think Flickr, you know, was was a lot more active back then, especially in, you know, comments and appreciation for the art of photography. Yeah, I think it was both. Um, when I when I used to shoot film and, you know, brought back 51, you know, rolls of film from Honeymoon, for example, I would stick them in albums and, and that was lovely. Um, but no one would ever look at them. <laughs> I don't know, my friends quickly learned to run a mile if they saw me with my photo albums. Um, but Flickr, there were all these other people out there looking at my pictures suddenly. So that, that was really, really nice. Um, and I did have a bit of a community on there that was rather better than just the kind of cool shot, awesome, smiley type thing that you can get because I I was actually at the time that I started using Flickr, I was still doing my um, BA in English literature and you were allowed to do one course. I was with the Open University at that stage. You could do one course that wasn't your major or even close and they were offering a digital photography course. So I did that, um, and that taught me how to use Photoshop elements at the time, because there was no such thing as Lightroom. And um, it was there was a little group on Flickr of people who were studying on that course at the same time. And it was a really supportive little group. Um, you know, there were assignments, we'd share our work, we'd comment on each other's work. Everyone was lovely. And I think I owe quite a lot to that little group of people. Do you still connect with them from from then? No. And I don't know how that happens. You know, you just drift apart, don't you, over time? Um, I don't know. I don't think any of them have gone on to make photography a career. And um, yeah, it's a shame, really. I should make an effort and go back. I, I never go on Flickr anymore. In fact, I've lost my login details and I can't get on. (laughs) 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 And I should look them up. You're right. What mesmerizes you about the sea and water in particular? Yeah. um, I've thought about this quite a lot and there's lots and lots of reasons I could go on all night, which would be really boring. So in summary, I think one of the things obviously that I've talked about before is that I, I had a quite an unusual childhood because, um, well, for starters, this isn't unusual, but we it's relevant. We lived very close to the beach, about 100 yards from the shore. And so that was always a big part of my childhood. But the unusual thing is that my dad was a very keen yachtsman and quite an ambitious one. So I don't mean sort of small racing dinghies. I mean like 30-foot yachts that you can sleep on and Mm -hmm. we used to go away a lot um, pretty well from the minute I was born or as soon after as you could take a newborn we would go every weekend and all of you know once I started going to school all of the school holidays and every summer we would go for a month and live on the boat and and you know we would sail off to the continent um, or around the British coast and I think even though I'll be honest, a lot of that was quite a torment for me because I am terribly motion sick and I've never got over that. Um, I still did, I think, just become really fascinated with the sea itself. I didn't really like the sailing. I didn't like the sort of stress of it, you know, when things weren't going right and the skipper was bellowing and all of that. And I didn't like feeling ill. And I suppose kids it's quite hard to be constrained within the cockpit of a yacht for hours and hours on end day after day I didn't like that but I was very interested in the way the sea moved that 
the shapes it made, the different moods it had. And I think that just became embedded in me somewhere and has never, never left me really. So uh, now I don't sail. I make all my photographs from the shore or from the air. And and yet I'm pointing the camera at, at those patterns that I observed as a child. Well, I don't know if there's a connection there. And, and maybe this is me just taking a stab in the dark. But obviously you have always been mesmerized by the sea, even to childhood. But anything that you studied in uh, English literature when you went back to college that helped you connect with that? Because I know a lot of photographers look at other outlets and art forms in terms of painting or drawing or anything like that. I was curious if, if any of the literature that you studied kind of impacted you the same way or, or led you more towards the sea. Um, yes, I think it maybe went the other way around. The, the, the sea led me to the to the books because um, for, I did a master's in Victorian literature and art at the University of London. And for my dissertation, I wrote about maritime literature. So I think I've, I've always sought it out, you know, even as, as a teenager, you know, when other girls are probably reading romances or I don't know what, what teenage, normal teenage girls read because I was, clearly wasn't one because I was reading um, stories about the sea um, and for a long time was quite obsessed with the novels by people like Douglas Riemann and Alistair MacLean and Nicholas Montserrat that were writing about war at sea. Um, not really your typical teenage girl literature, I guess. So, yes, I think my interest in the sea drove me to an early interest in, in maritime literature. And then when I was at university, I just it was a no-brainer that I should specialise in that. So I'll tell you, this is a conversation ender, though. <laughs> I'll tell you the topic of my master's thesis was... Um, a crisis in maritime masculinities in the fiction of um, Captain Marriott and Charles Dickens. <laughs> it sounds riveting. <laughs> I, doubt, <laughs> I doubt very much that it is. So you're very polite. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's not really in my realm of, of reading. You know, I was more of like, obviously, I, I'm I'm a younger photographer and a younger person, and and I was gravitating more towards the Harry Potters when when I was a kid. Oh, I love Harry Potter, absolutely! I'm a massive, massive Harry Potter fan, and um, we used to. I I my kids grew up with me reading reading Harry Potter to them, and when the new books were coming out, we used to have to order more than one copy because none of us could wait for the other. The other people to read it so we all we were all reading our own copies at the same time I can remember when the um the fifth one the the order of the phoenix came out um me and my son Robin we we read our separate copies and we both read that whole book in a day <laughs> isn't it funny how how those books did that though I can't remember ever reading or, or wanting to read anything cover to cover like I did with those yeah and and also they reward a, a reread and I'm, I'm not going to say how many times I've read them but you sound like the same sort of fan I mean I love them I love all the movies as well I'm, I'm curious when you're photographing the ocean now based on your your knowledge of the sea and your knowledge of sea literature do, do any of those stories that you've read come back to you while you witness something in real life yes um there is in um, David Copperfield, there is a wonderful scene near the end of a storm hitting the coast, hitting a, a, a small town in the east and east of England. And it is an incredible bit of writing. Charles Dickens was an amazing writer, one of my favourites. And sometimes that comes back to me, actually, um, just the way he builds a sense of or, or at the, the amazing power of nature and also quite a bit of fear. Um, and I think perhaps in my Siren's work, you can, you can see awe, shock and awe in those pictures. Um, you know, I, I think growing up as a, 
a sailing child who didn't really like sailing, I've certainly experienced my fair share of fear of the sea. And I definitely think that's in my photographs as well. Is there a way you specifically capture that emotion? Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I mean, that, that emotion of the sort of fear, the idea of the sublime is really, a lot of that is about scale. Um, so I like to make the viewer feel like they're not quite sure about scale. Um, so most of my sirens, for example, which are the work that's closest, I suppose, to this idea of, of what's called the sublime in art, which is the idea of um, terrifying beauty. Most of my siren series, it's just the wave and there's nothing in it to give you a sense of scale. I mean, I can tell you that they were big waves because they were, um, but I couldn't tell you how many meters high they were because I'm not very good at measuring things in my head. Um, but it doesn't matter. I think by not having any keys or lighthouses or humans in the photographs, the viewer's slightly unsure. And that just adds to that slight sort of frisson of fear that goes with them, I think. I'm curious, too, you mentioned, you know, putting a telephoto lens on your camera instead of going wide angle, which which I would think would be the way I would go if I was probably standing next to you on the shoreline is, is wide angle all day. But throwing on a telephoto, how through the process of your journey in photography, did you chip away at the wide angle compositions if you ever were there and, and whittle it down to just very specific waves or fractions of waves and just the motion of the water? I think it was quite a slow and organic process really and I think it comes from my desire to try and achieve difference. I, I don't want to produce photographs that look like other people's now eventually that happens because of course as as you will know as soon as someone starts to do something and share it on social media if you know if it's popular lots of other people will start to do it so you you can't be different for very long but it's very creatively rewarding if you can be different for a little while and with sirens i i manage that um I wasn't aware at the time of any other photographer doing what I was doing with these um, specifically, um, they're called clopotic waves. They're the waves that ricochet off an object and crash into other waves, creating these kind of monstrous shapes. Photographing those with very fast shutter speeds and just making it about those shapes. Now, there is, in fact, another photographer whose work I follow and admire based in your country, Dave Sanford, who has a series of photographs called Liquid Mountains, I think, that he made in one of the Great Lakes. And they are also of clopotic waves, and these waves have, have a bit of character. But at the time, in 2015, when I was doing the work, I wasn't aware of Dave's work. So I had the feeling of um, creating something that was a bit different. And it's a lovely feeling. And once you've had that, feeling it's kind of hard to go back to doing what everyone else is doing so the long lens is a great way of finding difference because you sort of extract from what everyone would see the one thing in the scene that that catches your eye and it's very likely that it won't have been noticed by the other people on the beach because they they'll have either seen the big view or they'll have focused in on another tiny little detail within that and not the one you've picked. So, I mean, I'm getting, my focal lengths are getting longer and longer and longer. I mean, Sirens was with a 70 to 200, but now I'm using longer focal lengths, you know, shooting more at the 400 end and, and doing something different again. And, you know, I, who knows if it'll catch on or not, but I'm having so much fun doing it. I don't really care. Have you always strived to be different? Uh, with photography, I have in the last few years, but I think it's a journey everyone goes on. I think, you know, when you first start out, you you won't strive to be different. I think very few people will and actually think it's a good way to learn 
to not strive to be different, but actually to try and reproduce what other people are doing. That's how you acquire the skills. Um, As long as you're honest with yourself and the world about the fact that you're not being original, it's all okay. I think that the danger is if if you're not honest with yourself and the world about it, um, because you won't know what's your own voice if you don't know when you're using someone else's. Um, but I think most of the photographers who do achieve some sense of difference in their work are pretty rigid about this. You know, if they do produce something that was inspired by someone else, they'll usually acknowledge it when they share it. And I think that's a really healthy, healthy way of being and certainly the way I like to do it. Well, let me ask you this. Have you always been skilled in the ability to visualize or see differences that other people normally don't? Ah, now that's a really interesting question. I'm not sure I know the answer to that, but I rather suspect not. I think I've just learned it over time. Um, So I don't really believe in talent, truth be told. I think that the danger with thinking about talent is it's It suggests that some people just inherently can do something and some people will never be able to do it very well. And I don't like that. And the more time I spend with my clients, the less I become, the less I'm convinced that talent is a thing. I think some people will acquire skills more quickly than others. And some people will go from A to D by some sort of miraculous intuitive leap while the rest of us have to go through B and C. But I think we can all get there in the end if we get the right sort of help or the right sort of experience and opportunity. And I rather suspect that when I started, I didn't see any differently from everybody else. Um, But just spending so much time looking at things and trying to photograph them and thinking about it and just immersing myself in it, I've slowly developed a slightly more individual approach, but I I suspect there's quite a lot more for me to do there. I'm curious with that approach, are you spending a lot of time going out into the field with other groups of people? Like I know you take workshops and, and clients out at times, but when it's safe and we're not in a pandemic, of course, but going out by yourself to, to achieve a new portfolio or a new idea in photography, is that a solitary experiment for you? Yes, mostly. Um, in fact, I don't carry a camera when I'm teaching. Um, I just uh, maybe I'm just bad at multitasking. But I, um, I sort of figure if the clients are paying me for my time, I should give them all of it. Um, so um, it's a bit different if you're leading like a, a photography holiday and you're away for a week. You know, they're not going to clients aren't going to want you standing at their shoulder the whole time. They'd quickly get fed up with you. So maybe I would have a camera towards the end of the week. But most of my workshops that I do in the UK are day workshops. So it's not long enough to um, help the clients and make my own photographs. So when I'm doing my own work, I prefer to be alone. I actually find it really difficult to work in a group. I do have a shooting buddy uh, whose name is Jennifer Bunnett. And we have been doing photography together since 2013 actually but back in the days when we uh, before covid we would carpool so take it in turns to drive to a location together for the day but once we we get there we just scatter um nothing we hate more than standing next to each other to make a photo because we hate the thought that we might make the same photo so even though we might car share and have a coffee together and a giggle, which is there's plenty of silliness, <laughs> which is very nice. I miss it. Um, when it comes to photography, it's a solitary, solitary pursuit for me. And there's nothing I like more, frankly, than standing in the sea on an empty beach for hours on end. Hey guys, I just want to pause real quick and talk about today's sponsor for the podcast episode, a really unique and interesting opportunity that you have. It's called Out of Chicago Live. And Out of Chicago Live is April 9th through 11th, 2021, a three-day live virtual conference, including 40 plus of the best photographers on the planet. I'm very humbled to be 
on that list of photographers, of presenters, of panel discussions, keynote speakers, and a multitude of other options that you have for learning how to take better photos. So go ahead and go to outofchicago.com and you'll find the link to Out of Chicago Live where you can go ahead and sign up. Not only are you gonna be able to sign up and watch those live, but there's so many going on at one time, they're giving you the opportunity to re-watch all of those and have access to those for an entire year. So if there are two presentations at the same time that you wanna watch, no worries. You have access to that for a whole year. Outofchicagolive.com, and I hope to see you there. I'm trying to put myself in, in your shoes and picturing and what you see and what you go through to get a photograph. And, and I've, I've recently heard the comparison between two styles of photography, and that is kind of the, the sitter, the thinker, the person who waits for the moment and the hunter, somebody who's constantly moving on the hunt for the light, the moment which side do you gravitate to when you are in this like creative zone and, and creative flow? I might be somewhere in the middle, which is really unhelpful, isn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, for starters, I think that the sitter and the thinker is probably someone who pre-visualizes and I definitely do that. You know, I, I get ideas. I guess I'm so obsessed with photography that I'm thinking about it somewhere in my subconscious all the time, even when I'm not actually making photos. And I will definitely get ideas when I'm nowhere near the shore um, and they sort of lodge back in my imagination somewhere. But equally, I get lots of ideas when I'm standing in the sea making photos and I might be making a photo that's not anything like an idea and the idea just comes to me. Um, I guess mostly, though, they're not kind of sudden flashes of light they're gradual things that come from from experimenting so if I go to the beach um, I, I will probably do quite a lot of weird things with my camera uh, I might have a little idea oh do you know wonder if that would work I'll do it maybe it works maybe it doesn't work but I make a small change and that leads me to something else and so on and I I actually with my um mentees I, I say to them try to think of everything that you do as a step towards the next thing and for me that's really helped so I never think that oh you know that was a waste of time that didn't work out that's the wrong mindset I think because that sort of negativity might stop you from experimenting as much next time you go out with the camera, it might encourage you to play safe because you think, well, I wasted my time with that crazy idea. So instead, I try to think of the, the crazy thing that I did as maybe it didn't, those photos are just going to not get shared or ever published or whatever. But maybe that was an important step towards the next idea. And I'm not sure I've explained that very well, but I think that enables me to do two things. Um, certainly, I can be very busy when I'm on the beach, charging around, getting very excited, especially if the light's amazing or the, you know, the sea's doing something incredible. But equally, I, I'm very content just to sort of potter along on a boring day that everyone else would say, Ugh, you know, there's blue sky and sunshine and, and just point my camera down at some interesting details and just let the ideas flow. And not worry too much that, all right, you know, I drove all the way to the coast and I'm not going to bring home a keeper. I just let that go. Um, so then I'm, I'm quite calm and I find that's the only way I can work. In your experience leading other people or also working with other people, have you found that experimentation to kind of be a hesitancy for people? I think, I mean, it obviously does vary depending on the character of the individual, but I think um, I understand why some clients would be hesitant about that because, you know, they've quite often, well, most of my clients, they're not, they're not professional photographers. Some of them are, but most of them are not. And they're very busy 
individuals uh, doing you know important jobs in other fields and so carving out a day for photography for them is actually quite a big deal um, you know they probably had to take the day off work and it it's you know it's not free either they've had to pay for it and when they get to the beach they they want results now to be fair actually most of my clients are pretty chill about this um, but I can understand that some might sort of get there and, and be desperate to get an amazing photo because they might not get out with the camera again. So if the light's really good and you, you're lucky and you get amazing weather, I often think that while the clients will go home with some beautiful photographs, um, I often feel slightly less satisfied with the workshop because it's when the light's not very good that clients are more inclined to get creative and to experiment because, you know, the big vista just looks rubbish because there's a plain blue sky and harsh sunlight. And I have to admit that it's the workshops with the bad forecasts that I enjoy the most. Is it is it tough, though, to keep your clients excited during those quote-unquote bad conditions for photography? I. Not very often, actually. I mean, there's always one or two clients who who maybe need a bit more encouragement. But I um, I'm get I'm quite energetic <laughs> and very excitable, and I think I managed to most of the time I managed to pass that on to the clients. So um, yes, I I've got so many ideas and you know crazy things that I can get people to do for any condition that actually I quite enjoy that challenge. You know, the challenge of of um, enthusing people and and the absolute reward, the sheer joy it brings to me when I see that I've succeeded and, and people are having an amazing time is there's nothing quite like that really. I, I asked, it was more of a selfish question because <laughs> I led a Milky Way photography workshop a few years back and it was cloudy all week. So <laughs> yeah, you that's can't really do that. Yeah, I would never do that. <laughs> I think that's, well, that's probably partly because I live in, in England, right? So that would be very risky indeed, <laughs> me uh, trying to schedule a, a workshop that these clear skies, because, um, yeah, it's mostly cloudy here anyway. I popped into to a room on Clubhouse the other night that you were a part of as a oh, moderator. I thought I saw you there. Yeah, hi. I nice was, to see you was, again. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um they dubbed you Queen of the Sea. Are, are you are you comfortable with that title? Uh, I just think it's a bit bit silly, really. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, but I mean, it doesn't bother me. Um, but yeah, it's just funny. I'm so not Queen of the Sea. Um, there are a lot of um, a lot of really good seascape photographers out there, and I'm just one of them. But you know, if someone's going to say something nice about you like that, you're not going to say no, are you? I guess not. No. <laughs> How have you seen that community and, and we're talking about on Clubhouse and I don't want to talk like just Clubhouse, but these these new ways of interacting with one another and, and the ways I've seen it coming out of this this time of pandemic. I, I feel like we have been knocked on our on our heels a little bit and now leaning forward in, into how we're going to come out of this is what what I want photographers to, to realize is that this can be an age of, of new ideas using what you learned during the pandemic. Did you learn anything about yourself that, that kind of made you sit back and rethink style of photography or approaches or have new ideas to what you want to achieve moving forward throughout your career? Actually, this is such a good question because I've been thinking about this all day without knowing you were going to ask that. And it was probably because of being on the clubhouse last night because um, I honestly wasn't sure about it. It was the first time I've actually shown up for a chat because um, that particular um, regular forum clashes with my Portuguese lesson. <laughs> so um, I've, I've not, I, in fact, that's why I was late to it yesterday. Um, so I went in not really knowing what to expect and sort of thinking, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it because people I like have asked me to and, and so on. And I was only there for, well, less than an hour. 
And actually, when we finished, even though it was quite late here, it was about quarter past 10 in the evening. I felt really energized just by that brief time connecting with other photographers and just listening to what they had to say. And, you know, people talked about their passion for photography. And I would say that having been a solitary photographer, and while I don't think that's going to change when it comes to me making photographs, I think I I feel more driven to connect with other photographers. And by now I don't mean clients, I mean peers, other photographers online or hopefully, you know, actually meet up with them in the future. Um, and I've really enjoyed these interactions and I've definitely had way more of them since the pandemic than I than I've had before. I've I've felt energized by I think just realizing how many people out there have some really interesting ideas and thoughts and love photography as much as I do. So that's kind of partly an answer. I haven't fully answered your question because you asked me how my photography or outlook has changed. And I think the big change for me is up until recently, I've treated my social media accounts as somewhere where I just share portfolio work that I know everyone will like. And I don't want to do that anymore. It's the first person I've told that to. Um, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm not going to share, you know, for the sake of sharing. So I'm still, I'm never going to go into the photo a day. You know, this is my most recent photo, quickly rush it through. I'm much slower than that. You know, the post-processing and all of that, I tend to leave my pictures for weeks, if not months. That's not going to change. But I'm stubbornly not going to just share the work that I know will be popular anymore. I'm, and I'm already acting on that. I've shared something today on my Instagram that I know won't be popular. But I'm really excited by the work. And I don't really care if it's not popular anymore, which is really liberating, actually. So, yes, that's a definite change. I think we've had time to reflect a bit more on our work, I guess. And if I'm excited about the new work, then I'm going to share it. Do you think that vulnerability, that communication, that lack of caring, what everybody else thinks is something that has been missing in photography? Um, yes, uh, there are there are still plenty of photographers out there who haven't, or at least outwardly don't appear to let that or have let that ever influence them. Um, but of course, we never really know for sure because we're all busy curating our image. Um, you know, whether it be the photographs we share or the stories we tell about ourselves. And I just feel like at the moment, thinking about a few communications I've had, that there, again, maybe the pandemic's had one of its good, good effects. Uh, there seems to be more of an interest from photographers in the, in the more thoughtful side of photography. Um, people want creative development rather than what were your, what's your EXIF data for that photo. I mean, there'll always be, there's always going to be people who, want to you know all they want to know is where you made the photo and what your exif data is as if they're magically going to go there and produce their own version of with that magic formula but their voices seem to have become quieter or more seldom heard anyway and more thoughtful voices like like your own you know in this conversation you're not interested in that stuff at all um and that I'm really pleased. I just think this is a lovely positive development in quasi-landscape photography. And I, I hope this trend just keeps going. Why do you think it's happened? Good question. Um, maybe we've become a bit bored with the kind of EXIF data location kind of response. Or maybe it's because doesn't really matter because you can't go there anyway at the moment. I don't know. Um, maybe it's because we've had time to be reflective 
um, and examine what we're doing a bit more. Maybe it's because we're having more conversations with each other. And after a while, the what was your shutter speed and what camera did you use gets boring because you know you need something new to talk about. It's probably a combination of all of those things. What about you? What do you think? I think definitely um, all of those things. Um, if, if I put it more towards like personal exploration for emotional connection to an image that it's just that it's, it's, I grew tired of going to icons and replicating compositions that I had seen before. It's fun to go there and it's fun to travel and explore and see these things, but it leads to no personal connection to those for me. It's all about, okay, here's the trail to the popular spot, but here's kind of this offshoot of a trail to a new location that I've never really seen before, never explored before. Let's just go for a walk and see what we see. Um, it is kind of my new approach to photography. And I think it, it pays homage to the quote unquote slow photography movement of just going out and seeing what you can find over several hours of, of just hiking. Yeah. Yeah. That, I like that. I think that's really, really nice. And um, I don't actually know who coined this uh, quote that I'm about to give you. Uh, a client gave it to me and he didn't know who coined it. So if anyone does know, maybe they can tell you and you can pass it on to me. But I, I heard this quote and I love it. It says, I'm going to get it wrong now, brain engage. It says something like, I would rather make a rare photograph of something common than a common photograph of something rare. Mm. And I absolutely love that. You know, for me, photography is about making the viewer see the world anew, see the ordinary things that they don't notice anymore, suddenly in a fresh light, and it makes them notice them. And so I love that idea of you ignoring the, the dramatic um, extraordinary view and just sort of pottering off, oh, Harry Potter, uh, pottering off down a, you know, a path that no one else bothers with and just photographing something quite mundane, but using all your vision and, and skill to, to show it to me in a fresh light. Um, and in fact, you've got a picture on your website that I really like, David, which is, it looks like it's sort of clay, blue clay, um, mm with just uh, some fissures in it. And it's just very simple, very pleasing. It's got that lovely kind of cool movie palette that, that you like. And I recognize in your work quite a lot. And that picture really, I mean, lots of lovely pictures on your website, but that picture really shone out to me because that's the sort of thing that a lot of people would just trample over in their effort to get down to the, uh, the dramatic scene. And I love it that, you know, photographers are pausing and showing us these wonderful little details. What's interesting about that image, Rachel, is it was the last photograph that I took before I took six months off without touching my camera because I was so burnt out on photography. And I think that was the introduction for me of this new style of capturing what I see because it was unlike anything I had ever done before. Well, it, it shows. It's a lovely photograph. It's got a sort of quiet presence. I really like it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Where, where do you see your photography going uh, in the coming year? And, and I guess we'll wrap up at the end of that with how can people discover you and, and find you online? Oh, okay. Um, now, in the first the first question. Honestly, I've no idea. Um, I'll just see what happens. Um, I'm pretty, pretty chilled about it, really. Um, a colleague of mine um, said to me, you don't really need any new photos. You've got a big enough portfolio. Um, and that's quite nice to sort of be given permission not to sort of charge off thinking, oh, I need a fresh photo. And I'll just see what happens. Um, I just want my, my hope, my hope for the next year or so is that I'll be able to get back down 
to the coast because I'm missing it. I don't live, I live about an hour and a half from the sea. And although the lockdown rules here allow me, because it's my job, uh, to go down and make photos at the coast, it hasn't felt necessarily the most responsible thing for me to do. And so I I haven't done it. And I'm missing that. So my hope for the next year is that I can get back to the sea and just make photos and see what happens. Um, Before you answer where people can find you, I, I, it just spurs this other question that I had is, is did, do you think you needed permission for like liberating you in this new way in photography of, of not having to produce images? Um, yeah, maybe. It's hard to say. I think when you make this your job, it's not easy to always have sight of the reason you're doing it. You can very easily, I think, become uh, drawn in the wrong direction creatively. And there is a huge amount of pride in building a business and it being successful. And I feel very proud of, of both both companies that I, I have now. Um, and their success matters to me. But it is at a cost, it's at a price, which is, is draw, it's drawing me away from the really the core thing, which is the actual making photographs. And I suppose it was quite nice to hear from someone um, I respect. It, his name is Jonathan Critchley and um, someone I greatly respect. And he's a very, very well-known, established photographer. Um, to hear him say that to me, it's a while ago he said it now, to say we don't really need any new photos because uh, we're all influenced by people we respect. And I feel lucky to have um, the benefit of the advice from some really, really great, great photographers. So, yeah, I guess I'll be honest. I think maybe I did need permission from someone I respect to um, stop bothering about having new work for my portfolio. And um, thanks, Jonathan, for it. <laughs> Speaking of the portfolio, we will get to that last question of, of where people can go to find you, what's your website, uh, and where people can go to see even in what you've been talking about, your new approach to social media? Yeah, so um, I'm really easy to find because as far as I know, no one else has my name. Um, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, Talibart, T-A-L-I-B-A-R-T. So my website is just my name. My Instagram is just my name. Um, I'm on Facebook less often, but it's my name with the word photography at the end. And I'm on Twitter also very rarely, um, and that's just our Talibart. So I'm incredibly easy to find. Um, and if anyone, when, when people want to sort of are able to get out and go to places again, um, I am represented by a gallery in the USA. So if any of your listeners are in Massachusetts, um, there's a gallery in Lenox, which is a lovely um, kind of art destination town in Massachusetts who represent me and you can always go and see prints there. Um, I really, I adore prints and I would like much rather people see my images in print than on screens. But when uh, you can't, if you can't get there, then um, my website is probably the best place to go. Um, otherwise, my main social media is, is Instagram. Well, she's Rachel Talibart. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on and talking photography with us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me.